Welcome to the Make Disciples podcast, a short weekly podcast where we will share topics, ideas, and resources useful to you in your effort to follow Jesus as a disciple. Welcome to the Make Disciples podcast. I'm David McNeely, one of the pastors here at Wildwood. And joining me again today is Dan Rober, normally sitting on the opposite side of this. But uh, for this much of this season, we're, we're changing roles, and that's for a good reason. We uh, didn't actually change seats, though. We're actually <laughs> sitting in the same seats. That's a good point. Yeah. Dan's a community director here. And in this podcast season, we're talking about church history to help. How do we look at church history in a way that is actually helpful for the average person? Uh, rather than just uh, theological nerds like you and me and Mike Shockey, you would put into that category. Oh, um, absolutely. Well. I'm there. Shout out to Mike Shockey. <laughs> That's good. Hey, I'm really, really excited about this one today. And I've been saying this for a long time. If every parent could understand the basics of what we're going to talk about today, um, I think you're going to set your child up for heading off to college in the future and not unnecessarily abandoning the faith over a reason that uh, is just not a good reason to do it. So, so we're talking about uh, Bible and canonization. So we've been talking about councils last time, and we talked about how these things work. Um, very specifically, can you tell me this? Why does our Bible today have the 66 books that we have? Yeah, this is a huge question and an important one to uh, clarify, because no one thinks that the Bible in its uh, authorized new international version form came out of heaven and like lowered down as its full complete thing. But there are questions about how it got there. And, and there's a term that we use. The term is canon, not canon as something that you're shooting at your uh, people in a war, but a canon with one N in the middle there means rule or measure, a collection of writings that become the authoritative guide and standard for the faith and practice of members of a particular religious group. In our case, we're talking about Christianity. And so in that context, canonization is simply this canon formation, how it comes together. And so we're talking about this idea of canonization and how did it happen? Well, we can see that there are two separate things we're talking about here. We're talking about the formation of the Old Testament, also known as the Jewish scriptures or the Hebrew Bible. And then we're talking about the New Testament. And yet they both followed very similar patterns in their creation. There's a couple of steps that they went through. First of all, they're just telling stories, you know, oral tradition, passing on from uh, generation to generation, these important things. And you get this idea all the way back to Deuteronomy 6, right? You know, pass this on to your kids so they can pass it on to their kids. But over time, oral tradition moved into actually writing stuff down. Now, there was a time when you would write stuff down that was really, really important. And so some of the earliest things after they started writing down, you know, tax laws, because you got to write down that money <laughs> stuff, um, they wanted to get down the uh, religious beliefs to make sure that those were established as well. But just because something is written down doesn't mean it's necessarily important or authoritative for a particular group. The example I use with my college students is uh, if I mention a book about wizards and warlocks and magic and all that kind of stuff, you could find, you know, dozens, hundreds of books like that. But if I mention Harry Potter, everyone knows what I'm talking about because it was so popular. And within religious communities, there's that same kind of circulation acceptance. Did you read what this guy wrote? This is 
who we are. It provides identity and meaning and purpose and describes what they're trying to become and becomes that next step, that authority for that religious community. They say, this is who we are. This is who we want to be. And then finally, we just got to figure out how that closes. That fifth step, the closing of the canon is essentially saying, this is it. We aren't going to add anything else to that. And so it's going to figure out. And this is exactly what I tell my students uh, at the collegiate level. But as Christians, we're going to add one more thing that oversees all this. God oversees this entire process. God is the one who directs the people to write this down so that it does become this authoritative idea. And so that people eventually say, yes, this is who we are. This defines who we are as Christians and believers. So I hear this regularly when the, the book and movie came out years ago, The Da Vinci Code. Um, boy, we really got this question a lot um, from folks. And again, I, when I use the term skeptic, I use that in a, in a genuinely affectionate way. Um, cynic is somebody who, regardless of the information presented to you, they're not going to believe anything. The skeptic is one that says, I just need more information to, to see if this is something I believe. So we got to hear from both cynic and the skeptic. I'm in there. When we talk about the canonization of the Bible, it coming together, the argument is, isn't this really just one big power struggle mm-hmm. where it's just winners and losers and the winners are just trying to destroy the losers, Da Vinci Code style? Is that, isn't that really what happened? Yeah, that's a really popular uh, discussion point, especially in academic circles today. And one of the reasons is it gives academics something to write about. Like there has been discoveries of other books. So instead of simply saying the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they want to talk about the Gospel of Thomas or the Gospel of Mary or a number of other ones. And it provides fodder for a lot of different academic works. And so it plays into this idea that says that there were lots of different gospels out there and they all had equal footing. But uh, then, you know, there was this power struggle that eventually elevated four. In short, that, that's a bunch of hogwash. Um, we have clear understandings, maybe not as clear as we would like, uh, because it did happen almost 2000 years ago. But we have clear understandings that say the vast majority of both the Old Testament and New Testament, as we have them today, were accepted as standards for their faith very soon after they were written. Let's focus on the New Testament because that's what we're primarily concentrating on here. We have lists of the accepted books for the New Testament as early as the second century, shortly after they were written recognizing the vast majority of the New Testament. In fact, one of our earliest collection recognizes all four of the Gospels that we have, the Book of Acts, all of the writings of Paul, some of those pastoral epistles, and Revelation as authoritative. Now, I want to be the first person to say that, yeah, it wasn't precisely exactly all the books that we have. There was some disagreement about things like, Second Peter or Second and Third John and Revelation. Well, Revelation is just a weird book. And so there was <laughs> disagreements about that one. But on the whole, shortly after they were written, they were celebrated. There's one example I'll give you of this. One of the early church leaders, Polycarp of Smyrna, lived from 95 to 165. And he was writing a letter to the Philippians. And he said, for neither I nor any other such one can come up to the wisdom of the blessed and glorified Paul. He went among you accurately and steadfastly taught the word of truth in the presence of those who were then alive. And when absent from you, he wrote you a letter, which if you carefully study, you will find to be the means of building you up in that faith, 
which has been given you. We're talking about just a few generations after the life of Paul. Someone is coming along and saying, I'm writing you a letter, but that's nothing compared to what Paul wrote you. Pay attention to that letter. It's already elevated beyond other things that were going on there. We should note, sure, there were debates. And one of the reasons we're thankful for the councils is because it identified those debates and uh, tried to solve them. This didn't elevate itself to the level of a council, but a guy by the name of Marcion, uh, who lived end of the first century, beginning of the second century, was trying to argue that the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures, was not necessary for Christians. In fact, the God of the New Testament was different than the God of the Old Testament. And this view was strongly denounced by other church leaders. Oregon, uh, Polycarp, Tertullian came out and said, no, 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 both of these writings are important for believers. We're going to hold to the Old Testament and the New Testament. So even a guy like Martin Luther, you go way down in the future, Martin Luther even struggled with the book of James. Oh, yeah. He wanted it stricken away. And uh, so even a guy as gifted as that, you know, there was still, there's some debate, but man, these councils said, boom. We're recognizing what the church has already been circulating. And uh, um, so, again, we didn't all of a sudden get the Bible in, in, in Constantine. Yeah. That's what you're saying. It was put together well before that. And then they just closed things by the time we got to the fourth century. Yeah. They were just responding to folks who wanted to add things to it and et cetera. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. This is great. Uh, thank you for this. If you want some uh, further resources on this, we actually did a summer uh, seminar. Um, on this dinner part of our summer series. It is our tongue twister, right? That's summer right. <laughs> seminar series. Yeah. <laughs> and it was on the reliability of the scriptures. Um, and then, so that is available as well as all of these resources that we have available at wildwoodtlh.com slash resources. Thanks so much. Look forward to joining you again uh, next time. Thanks for joining us for the Make Disciples podcast. We would love it if you would subscribe, leave a review and spread the word. This podcast can be found in Apple Podcasts and Spotify. This podcast is a ministry of Wildwood Church in Tallahassee, Florida. Please join us again for our next episode of Make Disciples.